Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. I almost hate to use the word educational. Charles Staley. And uh, I failed phys ed and English all the way through high school. Phil Stevens. I guess I'm kind of the, uh, the dark horse here. And Rob Fortress Fortney. But there really is no secret. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey folks, Rob Fortney here, uh, former editor at Muscle Mag International, former competitive bodybuilder and strength trainer enthusiast. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, uh, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and a little bit of everything. Sweet. Hey, today we have John Berardi on. We all know John from pretty far back, actually. John's, uh, he's a grad of the PhD program in the School of, of Kinesiology at University of Western Ontario. Pete's advisor, or, or rather John's advisor was Pete Lemon, who was also my advisor. Pete was just on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, John's now president of his own company. And John, you can correct me, Science Link, or is it Precision Nutrition? Yeah, we kind of rolled it all into one about uh, about a year ago. So Precision Nutrition is kind of the official business ease way of saying it nowadays. Okay, cool. Just wanted to be on the mark there. So, so I just wanted to start off a little bit, John, just having you basically talk about your background a little bit. Uh, it's funny. I don't know if you if you caught it or not, but we even asked Pete some of these questions, which, you know, makes me giggle a little bit. Like, uh, like athletically, you know, what was your interest? What got you into weight training and all that kind of stuff? And obviously there's a big strength focus on the show here. So I, I know your company goes beyond that and we'll talk more about your, your business in a, in a minute here, but just what were your roots? What were your origins? Well, you know, I mean, it depends on where, where we start this little trip down memory lane. <laughs> started, if we start at the beginning, uh, you know, I, it, it sort of all, all kind of, I guess, began just growing up where I was actually just this like super scrawny kid that was like allergic to everything. And, you know, uh, had asthma, you know, so I, I kind of went through my early life with a, a puffer, you know, in a holster and uh, an EpiPen ready and waiting at all, at all times. <laughs> and, and that, I mean, that was, that was kind of how I grew up. So, you know, because of that, you know, your family sort of adopts a certain very protective mindset of you. So doing physical activity and sports and stuff like that, my mom was always super freaked out about, so she didn't want me to do any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, contact sports and, you know, anything that required any, you know, modicum of athleticism or, you know, use the cardiorespiratory system was like a no, no in her, in her book. So, I mean, that's kind of how I grew up. So I was kind of sheltered from a lot of sports and stuff like that. And, you know, and obviously with that, you kind of end up, being a, a little bit of a wussy, you know, so that that's kind of how how I kind of went through grade school and early high school, and after a while I just kind of got pissed off about it because I'm kind of a strong-willed dude, and you know I decided there's got to be a way that I can fix some of these things, so I just got very into kind of training, you know, so you know I ended up spending a hell of a lot of time in the gym in in high school. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and and you know the first couple of years were pretty well a write off. You know we we can experience is never totally a write off, but I, I didn't do very well. And at that time, I actually started to play a little sports, and you know I, I don't know if I just actually started to outgrow all those like asthma and allergy problems, or if actually the training and actually trying to eat up on eating better and 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 do, doing the best I could at the time to eat better helped. But regardless, it's sort of I, I started morphing into a bit more of an athletic specimen, and uh, I I mean it's all relative though. I mean when I graduated high school, I was still you know about 135, 140 pounds. <laughs> yeah. At uh, at about five five eight five eight and a half something like that. So you know I mean and that was actually kind of that was actually kind of uh, strong and fit for me, you know com- compared to where I had come from. But, uh, you know, at that point, really, I, I caught sort of the iron bug, and I really got into to training. But because of where I started, it was always both a very physical and a cerebral thing. 
like, you know, training and athletics didn't come naturally to me. So I always felt like I had to read about it or learn about it or find mentors and things like that because, you know, it, you know, I, I really couldn't turn to my parents for that kind of thing. They, they weren't very supportive of those endeavors growing up. So I, I had to be both physical and sort of intellectual and, that sort of sets the stage for kind of what was to come. You know, I ended up competing in bodybuilding and powerlifting, did reasonably well, uh, and had some big lifts back in the day and, uh, and competed at, at the national level in bodybuilding. And then, you know, that sort of transitioned into, you know, going to school, getting an undergrad in, in health science with, with a specialization in exercise phys, you know, going on and doing a, a master's in ex-phys and then doing a PhD in, in kinesiology with, with as, you, as you said, with Pete Lemon. So, I mean, for those who actually care, that's kind of like the nickel tour of, of my background. But, you know, I've dabbled, obviously, in, in strength sports. I've competed in sports, you know, when I, when I got, uh, got to university at a, at a higher level. I played football. And, uh, you know, then it sort of became an academic pursuit as well. I was just fascinated with the human body, especially coming from where I came from, you know, where I was kind of this wussy kid and, and, and somehow I was able to figure out how to get bigger and stronger and more athletic uh, by using my mind. And, and so that, that was really intriguing. So I wanted to learn as much as I could about that. And originally the whole, the whole thing was in, in university, I'm studying ex-phys and nutrition so that I could somehow twist and pervert it into my own personal uh, growth, you know, and, and Lonnie, you may, you may have had similar experience where, you know, you're sitting in these undergrad classes and at the time, really, most of the research was, was done on sort of aerobic exercise. So you're not learning anything about strength training or, or how to be better at lifting heavy things. So you're every little tiny nugget that could be twisted and applied in a different way, you're grasping onto like it's the Holy Grail. And so, Although at the time it was frustrating as hell, I think it's probably made us kind of who we are because, you know, we we ended up having to do a lot with very little, if if you will. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, what do they call partial reinforcement is usually the most addictive kind of uh, scenarios. <laughs> so you, you wait and you sift through for your gold nugget. You're right. There's no doubt the way they used to sort of uh, focus on aerobic exercise and tease people about – Oh, I used to get ribbed for my VO2 max, which was like in the 30s. <laughs> no, not good. <laughs> not good. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. That but was I know what you're... So you never do that well at. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. So did you have like a... Was there a hero or a particular gym or was this just sort of a empowerment that, wow, you know, I can I can sort of cerebrally figure this stuff out and it was more just a, a personal kind of journey? There, there was actually there was there was actually a one a, a one guy in particular that sort of was was and to this day probably my most powerful mentor, and he he sort of came into my life when I was probably about eighteen years old, and it was kind of an interesting it was an interesting uh, scenario how it played out because at the time I, I had started getting into reading philosophy and you know I've always liked reading quite a bit whether it's fiction or nonfiction or whatever, and. Uh, and this guy was just a really bright guy. He owned a bunch of gyms in our town and, and the surrounding towns. Uh, he was really well read. And he was also the biggest freaking dude I've ever seen in my life to that point. Um, he, yeah, he was probably 5'7", 245, 240, something like that. And he had uh, competed nationally in bodybuilding. So sort of we just kind of crossed paths. And, you know, he owned the gym that I worked out at. And uh, one day I was I was in there sort of, making a mockery of the leg press or something like that. And uh, he kind of came up and gave me some pointers. And I guess I wasn't so much of a jerk that uh, I turned him off from me. And he actually invited me to come train with him the next day, which was like a huge honor. I mean, I'm this kind of little scrawny guy. And this guy who's almost, you know, double my size invites me to come do a, a leg workout with him the next day. And uh, the, the, the catch was that the, the workout was at like 5.30 in the morning. And uh, I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> but uh, he's like, hey, yeah, you got to come uh, meet me at 530 tomorrow, and I'll take you through a leg workout. I said, oh, yeah, okay, cool. So I showed up, and and, uh, and we ended up being training partners for about two years until I went away to university. And uh, he was sort of the most, the most powerful influence on my life. I mean, in terms of, I, I, just in terms of business, 
in terms of how to think about education, in terms of how to think about money. The guy just kind of had his shit together, and I, I didn't even know that I had to start thinking about having my shit together. And he sort of put me on the path there, and, and obviously in the weight room as well. I mean, you know, during the time that I tra- the two years that I trained with him, I think I gained about 90 pounds of lean mass, which was just crazy. I mean, I was yeah. just blew up and got super strong. When, when, when I, we first started probably lifting together, uh, I probably could, you know, uh, bench press 135 pounds, so, you know, 145 aside for a couple of reps. By the time uh, those two years were up, I think I was doing, you know, 315 for 12 reps or something like that. So it was just a it was just a period of like tremendous personal growth and and uh, physical growth as well, and for me, I mean, having that kind of mentorship was amazing. And but I I always assumed that everyone else had the opportunity to find something like that, you know, just because it kind of just kind of literally fell out of the sky into my lap uh, back then. And I, I always assumed, oh well, yeah, this is probably normal. People probably have opportunities to find mentors like this all the time. And it's only much later in my life that I realized, holy shit, that was like super rare. And uh, people don't have that type of opportunity very often. And that, that's kind of, you know, I don't want to turn this into a big sort of pitch for our business, but that, that's really what we do with our coaching programs now. It's it's the idea of providing that sort of mentorship for people who want to achieve specific goals. You know, someone who's been there before, someone who's done it, who can walk you through the path because it was so important to me. So that 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 I think really was what sort of catapulted me towards some of the successes that I saw later in life. And obviously, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to that that guy. It's remarkable to me how similar a lot of people's stories are. You talk to the biggest people in the business, whether they're like a professional bodybuilder or – and I think the strength in the bodybuilding thing, it, it it's very nature is very empowering too. It, it almost creates people, you know. Like I've heard artists say that you don't choose art, art chooses you. And I think there's some there's some similar things going on like the way Tom Platts used to talk about – and I know Rob knows all about this, about Platts talking about almost a, a religious-like experience or a calling and things like that. But I love these kinds of motivational stories because there's such a common thread. You know, there's one impressive dude who is both physically impressive but also – intellectual in some way or motivating in some way and how that just one act of kindness starts you on this giant trek you know just cool yeah absolutely absolutely and it's uh like i say i mean it's 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 really i, I don't know i mean i've I've, de- I've kind of thought about this process a hell of a lot because it's actually become our business in many ways to to sort of provide this sort of coaching and mentorship or the best that we can to people uh, whether there's a geographic proximity or not. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting just in my personal journey because I feel like, uh, you know, now at this point I actually have something to offer back to people so that I can actually become a mentor. But I find that it becomes a little bit of a challenge to be someone who can continue to receive mentorship and to continue to give mentorship, to actually switch roles and be both. You know, because I think if we want to continue to develop in life, we actually need mentors always. And uh, and and really, I mean, me- the, the term mentor take on a specific sort of cliched meaning. But really, we just mean people who've been there and done that, people who know more than you do about a specific thing, and you can go learn from them about it. And then uh, vice versa, there's probably people that you know a hell of a lot more than who you can help you know, beneath you. So I love this idea of always kind of switching your perspective to be someone who can can be mentored and someone who can give mentorship. And and that's something I think about a lot. Yeah, you know, that whole that whole paradigm is so built into martial arts. I know Charles has been involved in martial arts and I have and John I, I can't remember if you have or not. But it's that kind of thing, you know, learn, learn from the mentor and then pass along what you know to the people more junior to you, you know. And it's, it's very cool to take that whole paradigm into a broader fitness sense or even a strength training sense. Well, yeah, it, it is. In, in life in general, I mean, you know, I love, I, you know, tr- strength training and, and physical activity has been part of my life now for, for so long, you know. It, it's, you know, I actually turned, I actually turned 36 on, on uh, Sunday and uh and i mean i've been doing this seriously seriously without a planned break you know since since i was let's say 17 years old and you know to some guys that's nothing but hell that's almost 20 years um and 
you know, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of an amazing journey, but it, it extends beyond that. And I find that if it all ties into everything else you do, the lessons that you learn, uh, it can become more profound than just muscles, you know what I mean, or being in shape or whatever. You know, for me, uh, you know, my top priorities are surrounding my own health and fitness and my family and my company. All that stuff kind of dovetails together, and, and I feel like if it doesn't, then and you sort of compartmentalize things a lot. It, it's 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 a little bit dishonest. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, you've alluded to it a little bit, and, and just to kind of catch up with you, I suppose. But what are some of your personal goals like with strength or in the gym or i mean i don't necessarily expect you to be competing in a strength sport per se i mean maybe you are but what do you have going on personally with your training yeah well you know actually it's uh i i you know if if i think about that question really there's three things i want to be able to do and these this is the reason why i you know i get to the gym five or six days a week i want to i want to be strong you know, and, and there's different definitions for different people. You know, I mean, uh, I don't want to squat a thousand pounds necessarily. That's, that's awesome if you can. But, uh, that's not necessarily what I mean. But I, I just want to be strong. I want to be able to lift heavy stuff for me. Uh, I want to have muscle. You know, um, you know, when I take my, if the situation demands that my shirt comes off, I want to be able to take it off and be happy about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the last thing is I want to be able to do stuff. You know, like, I, I want to be able to play. If, if one of my buddies calls me and says, "Hey, we're having we're playing soccer this weekend," which which we do, we usually play soccer every Sunday. Uh, I want to be able to go, and I want to be able to play, and I want to be able to compete. You know, if if we uh, decide we're going to have an outdoor workout, which we do often uh, in the summer, I, I spend most of my time in Canada nowadays. So in the winter, <laughs> screw the outdoor workouts. But in the summer, uh, we usually get together on the weekends, and we we bring a big 600-pound uh, tire out. Uh, we have uh, like a water-filled keg. Uh, we have um, log, a log press type of uh, implement, and we bring a whole bunch of cool stuff out to the park. And you know, we just make up workouts. You know, we slam heavy balls, and we throw them around, and we lift kegs, and we flip tires and stuff. So you know, if needs be, I want to be able to do that stuff. Uh, if someone asks me to go rock climbing, I want to be able to do that as well. So you know, when I was younger and, and bodybuilding and powerlifting were sort of my priorities, uh, you know, being strong and having muscle as, as priorities, th- those were the two. But being able to do stuff, it was, oh, screw that. Uh, climbing up the stairs, that, that, that was stuff that was hard for me back then. Oh, right, right. Instead of stairs, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's that actually where I did uh, my, my undergrad degree at, at Lock Haven University. One of the dorms, was actually up lo- located up the side of this mountain. So you actually had to climb over 100, set, 100 stairs to get up there. And I remember back then, I think I was 230 pounds, uh, I had to stop two times and just rest on the way up the stairs to this one dorm. And so that's sort of the antithesis of what I'm talking about here. Sure. Being, being able to do stuff. So those are my goals. So, I mean, I, you know, wh- what I do to, to be able to maintain that is, you know, I train probably about six days a week. Uh, a couple of those are, are strength training sessions. Uh, I do yoga once a week, uh, sort of like a more sports oriented, real physically demanding type of yoga. Um, you know, I, like I said, I do some like outdoor kind of circuit stuff. I play soccer once a week. So th- those are the types of things that I'm doing to sort of maintain this sort of threefold type of, of goal set, being strong, right. having muscle and, and doing stuff. But, you know, I, I like to actually have some objective markers as well. You know, there, there's certain there's certain benchmarks. You know, uh, I want my bench press to be over a certain amount. Like if if I can't bench press more than 400 pounds, that's that's too little for me. Uh, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, having muscle. You know, I want to have a certain body weight and certain body composition. Because what I what I think tends to happen is as your standard, like as you get older, your standards do tend to relax a little bit because of all the other stuff you've got going on. And I hate the idea that every year I might lose a couple percentage points to the point where, you know, when I'm 50, for example, now I'm looking in the mirror going, holy shit, what happened? You know, I, now now I can't lift anything. I don't have any muscle left. I can't do stuff. Oh, that really sucks. So, you know, that these are the things that, you know, I have some, some benchmarks for strong muscle and being able to do stuff. 
that that I sort of adhere to. But from the big picture, those are the th- those are my training goals. You know what I mean? Right. No, I totally get the idea of some quantitative or some kind of objective markers because I, I often tell people, you know, society. If you just hop on life here in the Western world and you ride it for a couple of decades, you will become very weak and out of shape and overweight unless you sort of purposely, you know, plan something more positive than that. So I totally understand what you're saying. The stress, the crazy work schedules, things like that, it's, it, it will get you. I look up and down the block here and, you know, some of the dads on the street, I think they're older than I am. And I'm shocked that they're like 10 years younger. They're like 31 years old. I'm like, dude, you know, I mean, I mean, not judgmentally, but you know, I mean, life, society has taken its toll on you. You've got to, uh, You've got to actively, proactively seek something better. I guess is all I'm mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I totally agree. And you know, it's it's just uh, I, I feel like it's about standards. And I teach this to all the people that do coaching and mentorship with us. It's just about standards. You have to have a minimum that you won't accept anything less. And once you set that minimum, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be your whole life, you know, but it does have to be um, non-negotiable. You know, so that's, that's kind of how, it, how I do it. I just set these minimums. And I, I'm totally with you, man. Like, I, you know, using our sort of weekly soccer game as an example, you know, the, the average age of the guys that I'm playing with are, you know, 20 years old. And I'm, I'm like 12 years senior to every other guy that's playing. And, and I look around at sort of my age-appropriate peers, and they, they couldn't do something like that on average. And, uh, I mean, it, obviously that makes me feel pretty good. Like, this isn't an arrogance, uh, me saying this. It's actually personal pride that, that sort of leads me to feel this way. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it, it's something I've worked for, and it, it's something that I'm super proud of, but it doesn't happen by accident. You just have to set your minimums, you just, and, and you don't negotiate below that. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I want to switch gears just a little, and this will eventually segue into our topic for the day. But w- what projects, you know, because we're talking about you specifically right now, because, again, I, I want listeners to be able to tap some of your expertise on the business side of things in the second half of the call. But what projects do you have going on, like, right now? What are what are the big things on your horizon, short-term, long-term? I mean, is there anything bodybuilding or strength-related, or is it is it more general than that? What kind of projects? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, with respect to bodybuilding and strength, I mean, that's, that's, it's kind of, you know, I guess that sort of stuff has taken a bit of a backseat to my top three priorities, you know, and, and, uh, you know, most people who've read even one book on personal development, for example, you know, know that, uh, you really have to sit down, figure out what your sort of values are and your top priorities, list them, and then be true to the top ones, and then everything else sort of just, ignore basically or everything else kind of falls by the wayside so for me i I really have three priorities and then basically nothing else exists uh the first one is is sort of my my health and fitness and these these aren't in order of importance they're just the three that i pay attention to one is my own health and fitness you know and that's strong having muscle being able to do stuff the second one's my family and then the, the last one is is my company basically and and when i say my company i sort of mean it in a bigger sense, sort of like my vocation or, or my my calling, um, and uh, you know, and with with respect to that one, that's that's where a lot of my focus has been lately. In addition to family, because my wife and I actually just had a, a little baby recently, and um, which is, which is totally awesome. But you know, on the business side, sort of my company or my vocation, we've got a whole bunch of stuff going on. You know, for some people who don't really know about you know what what we do. Uh, I'm the president and, and chief science officer for a company called Precision Nutrition. And, uh, you know, what, what we do is really we focus on a couple of things. I mean, nutrition education is one of them, and that's where most people find out about us at the nutrition education level. But, you know, I talked about sort of coaching and mentorship earlier, and that's sort of the biggest part of what we do. Um, we right now currently run two coaching programs. One is called Lean Eating Coaching. And that's uh, there's one for men and one for women. And it's basically for people who want to learn how to eat better, people who want to lose weight, lose body fat, you know, have a body transformation in a very positive way. And then we have another one called scrawny to brawny coaching, which sort of taps into my roots as a skinny guy who gained a lot of muscle and, and you know went on to compete and do all that kind of stuff. So you know we take really skinny guys 
who are really uncomfortable with that fact and help them build muscle and mentor them and coach them. So these projects are awesome. And to give you an idea of the scale, annually through these two programs alone, we coach about 2,000 people. So um, it's uh, it's been something that's been really, really, really rewarding and gratifying. And so that's something we're continuing to develop. So that's one of the big projects that I'm spending a ton of time on. These In fact, just to just to interrupt just for a second, that everybody who's listening, that's one of the things that we're going. I want to ask John specifically about uh, in just a few minutes is how he works with such numbers of people, right? Because who wouldn't want to have um, impact factor, if you will? Uh, of that magnitude. So we're going to get into some of that specifically in just a sec, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah. No worries. Thanks for clarifying. The other thing is, um, we, we actually just also for sort of fitness professionals, if you want to call them that, so it might be strength coaches, it might be personal trainers. We actually, uh, recently, so earlier this year launched a certification and mentorship program. So I don't know. I mean, you guys have probably noticed this. So if you walk into most, let's say, gyms or fitness centers or places where personal trainers and strength coaches, you know, apply their trade, you notice that in the last, let's say, I don't know, maybe five years, correct me if I'm wrong, Lonnie, you've noticed that uh, trainers and strength coaches have really started to use the techniques of physical therapy in their assessments and in their program design. I mean, you've definitely noticed this, right? Well, I, I think there's a definite presence of of what I call physical therapy toys, you know. And I don't mean I don't mean to belittle them, and, you know, by saying it that way. But I mean that's one of the things that's always struck me about that profession in particular is it's sort of built around these little pieces of technology and these little instruments. Whereas we haven't had that on the same level in nutrition or exercise phys historically, right? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, well, I I just find it a fascinating development in let's call it the history of personal training, that maybe 10 years ago, the idea of doing these functional movement screens and uh, specific assessments when a new client comes in to you know, determine which muscles may be tight and which ones might be loose and to determine you know, which uh, joints may have problems and which downstream and upstream problems may result from that. Uh, and how that applies to human movement, so biomechanics, and how it applies to the creation of a training program. I mean, like I say, 10 years ago, that didn't really exist. And now all of a sudden, fast forward, uh, almost every personal trainer is doing some form, whether they know it or not, of physio- physiotherapy or physical therapy in their practice. That development in personal training has been fascinating to me. And, you know, a couple of the guys that it sort of – and there's plenty of people who – spearheaded this change, but a couple of guys who, who I uh, know and have spent some time with, uh, Gary Gray and, and Gray Cook, sort of are guys that help to initiate this change in personal training, this idea that, hey, wait a second, uh, personal trainers should do these movement screens uh, akin to what physical therapists may do before they start prescribing, let's put a barbell on you and move you through these ranges of motion. I actually think it's a great idea that, that this has happened. Uh, there's still some development that needs to be done, some research that needs to be done, and some best practices that need to be initiated. But I like the movement forward. And the reason why I bring this up is because with our sort of certification and mentorship program that, that we've been doing through Precision Nutrition, you know, I actually have this vision that one day – uh, and this is much to the chagrin of nutritionists across the land and dietitians, um, that there will be some minimum of care within the personal training industry that looks to nutrition. You know, some way that when a client comes in, there will be some nutrition-related assessments that take place and potentially some nutrition-related advice that takes place in the personal training environment. And uh, nowadays, you know, again, I know there's probably some, some dietitians and nutritionists who, who will listen into this and flip their lid at the very notion, but you have to remember, you know, 10 years ago, if this discussion was happening in the physical therapy realm, uh, physical therapists would have been feeling the same exact way, and they probably are today. Uh, you know, I was talking to Gray Cook about this, and he was sort of a target for the American, you know, Physical Therapy Association or whatever their group's called for a long time for sharing the ideas 
that they sort of use in their practice with personal trainers. They were pissed because, hey, wait a second, you're actually taking business away from us, one, and two, these personal trainers aren't trained to the level that we are, so, you know, aren't they just going to do more harm than good? And Gray actually, Gray Cook gave me a great example. He said sort of your argument is, is a little bit analogous to, let's say, having a problem with a defibrillator being available at the local Walmart. So if someone, you know, goes into fibrillation uh, while they're checking out with whatever they're purchasing, uh, you know, you can revive them. And so that would be akin to cardiologists being super pissed that defibrillators are available, you know, that the cab driver knows how to use a defibrillator. So, you know, the point being with with what we're trying to accomplish is I, I really have a belief that we can teach fitness professionals, personal trainers, a way to deliver some basic nutritional care to their clients um, right right in the personal training and strength coaching environment uh, in a way that, you know, doesn't conflict with the training and the experience and that, that someone could get with a, a dietitian or nutritionist, but that actually enhances the client's experience. So that's, what, I mean, that's sort of the philosophical basis for what we're doing, but basically we have this certification and mentorship program uh, where we take, you know, strength coaches and physical therapists, or sorry, personal trainers and teach them how to apply certain aspects of nutrition in that environment. So that's another thing that I'm super excited about, really passionate about, and sort of is, is a big picture mission for me. Sure. Well, I can tell you before we – we're going to make a, a break here for the topic of the day, but I just wanted to sort of uh, agree. I think one of the biggest concerns that I see, whether it's my work through exercise physiology groups or dietetics groups, is uh, if – Protection of the public really is the goal because legally that's how licensure is often founded, right, protecting the public. Um, we have to sort of get over ourselves and the territorialism. I mean interdisciplinary work is where a lot of the government grants are, where a lot of the uh, opportunities are. And I think it's almost a lack of respect on some level when you have uh, a physical therapist or a dietitian or an exercise physiologist um, – you know, certify themselves like within their own group on something outside of their area rather than simply make a referral to someone who spent six years at university studying this stuff. So, and, and there are in fact both inpatient and outpatient. There are some really nice nutrition screens, just as an example. American Academy of Family Physicians comes to mind, but, and I don't want to start getting too geeky and academic, but there are some nice screens out there that are meant for non dietitians, whether it's just a family practitioner or a nurse or or something like that where that are you know they're sort of along the lines of the um um the screening you know some of the fitness screens that you see like the parq and and things like that so if you really want to protect the public man that we've got a long way to go every time i see the obesity stats it's worse last i heard in chicago at a nutrition meeting it was 72 percent uh of Americans either obese or overweight. I mean, it's in it's. I I heard a physician recently. This is just anecdotal, but he said that he had read a paper recently projecting ninety percent uh, overweight among the Western population by like the year twenty fifteen or twenty twenty or something. I and mean, it was absurd. So we've got to get education out. I think in every way possible, and, and sort of lose any kind of self interest because that's a conflict of interest in my mind. And and try to try to help people, you know. Yeah, and for me, you know, the biggest thing here is that, uh, you know, when this sort of this sort of competitive discussion takes place, where you know someone in the physical therapy realm or in the let's say uh, dietetics realm gets upset at the notion that a, a personal trainer may be able to do some basic level of care. Scope of practice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the. Um, the thing is, the number of personal training, like, uh, or let's put it this way, uh, we looked up some data, and they're actually hard to find, but the number of people that see personal trainers compared to people that see dietitians, um, sort of outside of the clinical environment, the hospital environment, it's like it's like six or seven to one. So we have six to seven times as many people seeing a personal trainer for this goal of losing weight or, you know, whatever, losing body fat, increasing muscle, being fitter, being healthier, etc. So, you know, the idea that that should be the exclusive domain of the, the dietitian is just problematic numerically. You know what I mean? 
So, you know, having some level of care within the personal training environment is, is really important for that reason. Also because, you know, most, let's say, fitness centers don't have a multidisciplinary approach anyway. And so when someone hires a personal trainer, they're not hiring them to exercise. They're hiring them to get in shape. And getting in shape is not just movement alone. Getting in shape, you know, we, I, I've done a bunch of articles on this and a couple of videos on this notion, and I sort of say it to get attention, but I say, I use the notion exercise doesn't work. And I've written a whole bunch of pieces about this, and, and, and obviously it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, because it works for some things. But if you look at a bunch of the published data about, you know, exercise interventions alone, we end up finding out that they actually don't work very well for weight loss or body loss of body fat. Yeah, I've I've often read that they're they're consistent but not very great in magnitude, not enough to really excite people. Yeah. Exactly. We we did a study at the University of Texas a couple of years back where we we actually had people come in. At, Texas is amazing in that there's all these uh weight training facilities exclusively for research on campus. Like in Austin, there's actually this huge, you know, two, 3,000 square foot gym space that's for research only. Uh, so we can actually run studies in that space, uh, you know, large studies. So we did a study where we had people, you know, one group was trained, and so they had, uh, you know, five hours of physical activity a week, a couple group exercise sessions, a couple uh, weight training, strength training sessions, uh, versus another group that did nothing, just kept doing what they were doing, which was less than an hour a week of any movement at all. And by the end of the study, of course, the trained group actually did lose a little bit of fat and gained a little bit of muscle. So the title of that research publication, if we were to, you know, if, if this were to be a, a finding that would get accepted, would be, you know, exercising for 12 weeks uh, helps subjects lose fat and gain muscle. No, no surprise, right? But like you say, the magnitude was actually embarrassing. I think they lost about one pound of fat and gained about one pound of lean. So their end body weight was the same, and they gained about a pound of uh, a pound of lean and, and lost a pound of fat. That's, I mean, that's embarrassing. If you were to hire a personal trainer for three or four months, that would cost you like five grand. So that's five thousand dollars per pound of fat lost. Man, I, I don't know about you, but if I if I just paid someone five grand and spent four months with them. And I lost one pound of fat. I might be after ending their life as a good option at that point, you know? Right on. You know what? I, I think part of the reason that we're all motivated by this podcast, and and here's us getting carried away, but um, is 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 sort of along those lines, right? Which is, I, I I really think the the approach, like you said, the aerobic focus that that's sort of historical and uh, prevalent still. And uh, one-on-one training and all these kinds of things, there are probably better ways. And I think um, you could call it bodybuilding training or strength training or power training or whatever you like. But um, some some of those phrases still have connotations with them, like bodybuilding. But at the same time, in a sense, that's what you're doing. I mean, what have you been explaining to me? You want to have a certain amount of muscle mass, a certain kind of body composition. You know, you're a bodybuilder, man. I mean, you might not be competing now. But anyway, okay, I'll tell you what. Phil um, – are you with us, man? <laughs> Sweet. Can you play the bumper? And, and I just want to I want to get into a little bit about uh, John's business and ask him some specifics and, and get some tips for listeners. Okay, we've got about 15 or 20 minutes left, and I want to talk about the topic of the day, which is basically starting your own nutrition and lifestyle-related business. Um, I I know um, John helps people do this. I know Charles and Phil do lots of seminars along these kinds of lines. And I just wanted to touch on a couple of things. Now, we already talked about certain things, like, for example, some of the, the, the products and services that John essentially sells to his business, books, videos, web coaching, um, and I mean, we could do a whole episode on how the internet is changing people in geographically remote regions and that kind of stuff. But, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, John, and again, there's so many people out there who I think they start their business. Maybe they don't have the, 
uh, three goals or even a mission statement, you know, working through a business plan is obviously important. But what about marketing? How important would you say marketing is to what you do? Because on your website, it, it lists that you have like 50,000 total clients. Um, so how important is marketing to that? And how did you build a, a customer base like that? Yeah. Well, you know, marketing has, I, I always find, uh, marketing is an interesting thing. I, I'm going to put you on the spot here, even even Lonnie, because uh, like, how would you define marketing? I, I always ask people this when they bring up the concepts. So I want to know how would you define marketing? Well, I suppose in the simplest terms, getting the word out, getting people aware of what you what you're doing. Absolutely, I think that's a great definition. I think a lot of people have the wrong definition in their minds. To me, marketing is just basically telling telling the story of what you do. You know, and, and people often have very negative connotations. It's people think it's convincing people to buy your product or it's tricking them or whatever it might be. Marketing is often used as a bit of a pejorative term. But really, I, marketing is just telling the story of what you do. And um, if, if what you do sucks, then you can't tell a very good story most of the time. If what you do is awesome, then... Uh, you have a higher likelihood of telling a really good story. So to me, marketing stems from doing something awesome, you know, doing something really, really, really well, better than as well as you can and hopefully better than most of the other people are in your niche or in your industry or whatever the case may be. And so then marketing becomes a very natural extension of that. If you're doing something really awesome and you can tell good stories about that awesomeness, that's marketing. And, um, you know, so marketing is, is obviously critical because if people come to you and your stories suck, it, it kind of looks like what you do sucks, you know? And uh, I know this sort of is a simplification. I'm just using words like awesome and sucks. But really, it, it comes down to something that basic. You know, uh, I think marketing is critical, but it's not the, it's not the make or break piece. And could you put a percentage, John? Could you put a percentage on it for me? Like of of the total amount of revenue that a company generates, is is putting what percentage back into marketing important? Um, well, you know, our company, for example, we I don't know. It's kind of like we either spend zero on marketing or a hundred percent on marketing. I'm not really sure which it is because we don't really like pay for advertising. And we don't really pay other websites to talk about what we do, those, those types of things. So we don't really have a marketing budget within our company. However, every penny we spend eventually becomes marketing because that's money that goes into research and development towards doing more awesomeness. So uh, it's, it's a hard equation to give. I mean, our, uh, I can just tell you our company. We, we don't have a marketing budget. But I think every penny we spend on the business is a marketing expense because we're making our company better with every one of those dollars. We're bringing on new coaches. We're uh, improving our coaching program. We're improving the quality of the information that goes on the website. We're improving the way that the website looks. We're improving the experience that someone has when they come to the site. We're improving, let's say, we'll call it the customer experience. So if someone purchases something. So every dollar we spend, I guess, is marketing. It's, it's increasing our level of awesomeness and telling stories about that. But, uh, but we don't necessarily have a budget for that, if you know what I mean. Sure. But, so, but I, I know that you give a lot of public lectures and things like that. And I've of, often thought that was a cool way to sort of kill two birds with one stone because you can do some good and get some information education to people. And at the same time, you can let them know about your awesomeness. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, it's like free marketing in a sense, but it's also doing some good. Yeah. And the way, the way we sort of created, uh, I, I mean, that's a g- great example of, of a way to sort of create, let's, let's call it like a, a customer base or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, a, another great way to do it is, is to write articles. You know, I mean, probably the biggest thing that has contributed to the 50,000 people that, you know, want to come to our website and use our products and services, at least initially to get them to hear about us, was, you know, going on to sites like, you know, T Nation or other websites or other, let's say, like print magazines and just talking about nutrition, talking about nutrition coaching, talking about exercise physiology, talking about what we do. That's, that was probably and, uh, you know, historically been the biggest source of, you know, 
new, let's call it new traffic is what they call it in the business world, or just new people coming to find out about what we do. It's And, and you know, oftentimes this, those seminars that you do or those articles that you write, you're actually paid for. So you're actually doing sort of the anti-marketing. Instead of paying someone else to tell your story, someone's paying you to tell your own story. And then people come and, you know, the the fact is, though, that's not enough. Uh, and I've heard this over the years from people who don't really get it. Oh, yeah, you know, the reason why your precision nutrition does so well is because you guys are such good marketers. Well, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that once people come from those free lectures or those paid lectures or they come from those articles, which are either free or paid, uh, there has to be something awesome to make them want to stay once they come to visit us. So that's sort of the other part of it. It's getting people to you, and then the other part is getting them to stay, and the only way to get them to stay is to be doing cool shit, you know? If you're not doing cool stuff, they're going to say see you later, you know? Hey, let me ask you, let's hit the pause button just for a sec. Can you list any specific electronic or web kinds of resources or or magazines? I mean, pretend that you're talking to a 17-year-old guy, or maybe we'll say a 20-year-old guy. He's an undergrad. He's getting a, a degree in kinesiology or nutrition or something, and he's seriously wanting to be like John Berardi, right, or have a successful business when he's done. Um, exactly what would you suggest? I mean, you don't – I know you don't have to lay down exactly, you know, co- the contact people names or something, but like you mentioned like, um, you know, T-Muscle or, or T-Mag – um, would you suggest that they maybe try to co-author something with an existing author first to get their foot in the door? I mean, how do they approach an acquisitions editor? There's a lot of obstacles there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the first thing is to actually differentiate yourself. How can you set yourself apart? You know, Lonnie, you and I did, uh, quite frankly, because of our education and experience. You know, we're guys who, you know, in this industry, for example, we have muscle mass. You know, if if we wear a T-shirt, people say, "Oh man, that guy's got good guns." You know, oh wait, he also has a PhD in this field. Holy shit, I'm going to talk to that guy. You know what I mean? Quite frankly, those are some of the things that got us in the door uh, to be able to write for publications like the ones that we have. You know, a certain sort of uh, intelligence about this this area, a certain experience, a certain sort of very physical presence and then obviously the training that we have so the first thing is differentiate yourself you know what how are you going to do that if you're a 17 year old kid and you want to do what you know I do or what Lonnie does or whatever the first thing is to get get really good at something get really really good at it and that means you know some public displays of your excellence which might be you know win some titles it might be you know earn some degrees those types of things. I mean, those aren't the end-all, be-all. There's a lot of guys who, you know, won bodybuilding titles that couldn't coach their way out of a paper bag. And there's certain guys who have PhDs who couldn't do that either. So, you know, they're not the end-all, be-all, but if you can coach uh, and uh, and you develop that as a particular skill, let's say, or you can write and you develop that as a particular skill, then those other things can only help. So, you know, the first thing is develop some proficiency and <laughs> My friends, that shit takes time. I see a lot of young guys thinking that within a year they're going to be the next fitness guru, and they don't have any education, uh, they don't have any <laughs> training, and they don't have any experience. Well, good luck, you know? I mean, really good luck. And uh, the, the, what I often tell people, I know I'm still being very philosophical about this, but what I still tell people is this. When I was 17, I didn't know that I was going to be doing this or that I wanted to do this. When I graduated from university, I, I still thought I was going to go to med school. When I went and did my master's, I still thought I was going to go to med school and I was going to be a physician. Uh, it was only when I wrapped my master's and decided what to do next, uh, and I did apply to med schools and I did get in. Um, I, I just I sort of hit a crossroads and I said, you know what, med school is awesome, uh, but I think this sticking with this exercise and nutrition thing would be more fun. So that's why I did that. So. I didn't even know I wanted to do this until I was probably, you know, 28, 29 years old. So at 17, you know, the idea is just dig in, man. Dig in. Learn as much as you can. Now, let's say you've done that already. Let's say you're graduating with a master's or something like that. How do you get started? I think there's really two two keys. One is to, you know, figure out what you're going to do. Make sure you can do it really, really well. You know, uh, my experience is the web. So start, get a website going. And the biggest, most fundamental mistake I see people make when they start a website is that they don't 
um, have a way to communicate with people that have visited their website again. So I'll give you I'll give you an example of what that means. So let's say you're writing or you're giving seminars or whatever it might be, and then you say, hey, everybody, you should come check out my website at myname.com. Well, that'll bring people to your business, right? Then once they're there, you need to have a way to make sure you can talk to them again. And the only way to do that is to collect some information from them. Have them give you their name and their email address so that when the next seminar is coming up, you can tell them about it. When uh, you know you release your magnum opus of a book, you can tell them about it. You know, when you release a coaching program or whatever it is, you can tell them about it. The only, 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 only way to survive in the Internet world, if, if you want to make that your business, is to create a relationship with your customer where they can come to you for information and you can go to them. And the only way to go to them is to get information. You have to get some information about them. At minimum, their name and their email address so you can talk to them again. Now, you know, that part has become a bit of an art in itself. Like if you go to most websites nowadays, you see people giving away a free report or subscription to a newsletter or something like that. And nowadays that's really not enough. And there's this, there's this uh, let's call him a business guru, if you will, uh, that, that I, I actually know personally. And uh, his sort of business was the internet dating business, if you will, sort of the, the pickup arts. And... Uh, you know, a lot of people laugh at this sort of niche, but it's no more silly than what we do, quite frankly. You know, we're into bodybuilding and lifting heavy stuff. And uh, this guy, you know, grew a $30 million virtual business selling information about how to pick up chicks. Uh, it's unbelievable to me in some ways. And anyway, this, this guy basically created, he has this phrase that he uses called moving the free line. And what it means is that you know, when people come to a website and they uh, and you ask them for their name and email address, for example, and uh, and you offer them something in return, like a newsletter or a free ebook or a free report or something like that, that's that was the old free line. So you give someone something for free, but it wasn't something very good. In, in most cases, it was something shitty that they probably wouldn't pay for if you asked money for it anyway. So you gave them something that wasn't really very valuable. Well, the thing this guy started doing was he called it moving the free line because that line between free and paid moved dramatically. Was he would give people stuff that was worth two or three hundred bucks for free, and so when they get it, they'd be like, "Oh my god, this guy is doing awesome stuff! Look at what he gives you for free!" And then the likelihood is that you know the paid products and services are going to be really awesome too, even way better than this stuff I got for free. So it's like this. Imagine if this is what the guy gives for free, imagine what happens when you actually become a customer or a client. And so that has become sort of one of the things that I see people messing up on when they decide to launch their own, let's call it internet business or whatever it might be. It's that notion that they're not communicating with the people that are coming to see them because they don't have a way to. And the way to is to give people something really, really exceptionally awesome for free and in exchange for just the, the ability to communicate with them in the future. How would they afford that, though, John? How would how would somebody with, with a new business afford something like that from the beginning? You, you work out a deal with a, a provider or something, or like where do you get the cool free, f the cool awesome two hundred dollar free item? <laughs> well, uh, you know, oftentimes it, it's it's something that you might uh, sometimes it, it might be an ebook, for example, but instead of a forty page report, you actually create an ebook that's worth paying for. You know what I mean? So it doesn't cost you any more except for some time and intellectual property. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what you may do. What, what we do on our site, for example, um, we do these free courses. So, you know, one that we offer is for fitness professionals, and it's on our homepage. So if someone were to go to our, our site and click on the for fitness professionals area, they'd get to see this free five-day course, which is as good as any seminar I've ever done live. I mean, it's actually better. We give away all of our assessment forms for clients right in that free course. Something immediately usable. Yeah. Yes. That, that, you know what? You actually just nailed the key. It's something that's awesome and immediately usable for what someone wants to achieve. So if you want to do a fat loss course, give someone, you know, give them a five day course 
that gives away some of your very best intellectual information. You know, some of the stuff you think, i got to guard this with lock and key because if people find out what it is, uh, my business is over, you know? That type of stuff is the stuff you give away. So it doesn't have to be, you know, like a, a broadcast quality DVD or something like that. But it just has to be great info. It has to be something that people would, you know, fall over themselves to pay for, and then you just give it to them. And then you have other things to offer them later down the line. And, you know, th- this is obviously just part of the story, you know. Um, before you do any of this, you know, and this is something I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't say, is, you know, people often ask me, like, what's the first thing that I should do if I want to, you know, start a nutrition training online business? What's the first thing I should consider? You know, do, what shopping cart do I use or something like that? Always the first thing to consider is why the hell are you doing this? If it's just about money, I promise you, there are way easier ways to get money than to start your own business online. You know, I did this for probably four years before I ever made a dime. And, and, and when I say that, it's not like, oh yeah, I was just pissing around, you know, whatever, with whatever free time I had. No, I was working on this like it was a full-time job for four years before I ever got a dime. And, uh, like I say, the only thing that kept me going is that I really, really was passionate about this area. I was really passionate about what I wanted to achieve. I had clear priorities and goals. I figured out why the hell I wanted to do this because if I would have just done it for the money, I would, I would be doing something else today because after one or two years of making absolutely no money, I probably would have bailed and found an easier way. So I always feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't tell people that. There's easier ways to get money than to go out and try and be an entrepreneur. That's for sure. Right. You know, I might add to that too. Guys who are listening and gals have a product or service that's really well thought out and getting an education before you do so, like John said, is is a huge part of that. But have something planned. I remember once someone from a very popular uh, online fitness resource said, Lonnie, you do it wrong. You know, you, you do all this writing and stuff and, and you, you're not selling anything. You should have something to sell first. But it's back to like what John said. Everybody has goals about why they're doing it, you know. And I've always been sort of this staunch, stick-in-the-mud consumer advocate type. And it's like, well, what's wrong with something like write some articles? I make some money. I do some good because I was a 16-year-old kid too, you know, who was trying to figure out how the guy on the cover of the magazine looked like that. So, you know, it, it again, it comes down to uh, sort of a, a passion for it. Um, I just want to wrap up. Once again, we're talking with Dr. John Berardi from Precision Nutrition. And not only did he tell us some cool stuff about his background and why he's in it, and I think you could see how the passion from the beginnings leaks through into the business that he does. Then we talked about the business and what he does with that too. So finally, John, I just wanted – we need to wrap up here. We're just about out of time. But what advice would you have for exercise science or nutrition students or maybe personal trainers who are starting their business and then wrap up with ways that people can reach you, right? Your website, best way you can be actually contacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, my my advice is this. You know, if you're going to get into this field, which, you know, I'm very passionate about and which, you know, I feel like it's part partly my field, not because I have ownership over it, but just because I'm so vested in it. Uh, if you're going to get into my field, you've got to care about helping people. And I say this in a lot of my seminars. If you don't, if you view your clients as kind of Susie housewife or whatever, I, I hear people say this all the time. Yeah, I'm sick of training my housewife clients. I want to train elite athletes or whatever. If that's the type of language you use, I need you to get the hell out of my field <laughs> because that is not the right mentality going into this. You need to actually give a shit about people. You need, you know, we actually do personality assessments on all the people that come and work with us and, and on all of our clients. And one of the things we test is empathy. And uh, uh, someone can't be a coach with our company unless they have a high degree of empathy. So, you know, someone who says, yeah, I'm sick of these housewife clients probably doesn't have a high degree of empathy. So that's the first thing. If you're an exercise science student or nutrition student or whatever, and you want to be in this field, I'm, I'm telling you, do not if you don't feel like you care enough about your clients. Go do something else. There's plenty of great fields out there. Just get the hell out of mine. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, with respect to students, you know, people want to know how to get to where, you know, Lonnie and I are, for example. 
you know, it's it's get a broad diversity of training, you know. I mean, my electives in school were like clinical pharmacology and endocrinology. and <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I went to the med school to go learn stuff, you know. There, there isn't any track, any fast track into what we're doing. Uh, why, I, you know, I've, I've known Lonnie for a long time, and I've always admired Lonnie and his broad base of education. Like I remember when we first started hanging out, he'd be quoting, like, you know, physicists and talking about Carl Sagan and all these other people. And, you know, that, 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 has, that has nothing to do with exercise physiology, maybe, or maybe it has everything to do with it or why he is who he is. It's that you need a broad experience. You need to understand a lot of different stuff. And if you don't love education, if you don't love that process, eh, you don't really have any business going on and trying to get a PhD or something like that because that's a long-ass means to an end of the degree. You know, the, 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 the end is the education process itself. So that, that's, that's the advice I can give to students. Got to love this, man, and get as diverse and broad a base of experience as you can. Hell, if you want to be in business eventually, why not some business courses? That would probably be a pretty smart idea. The other thing that I have is, let's say, once you get out of school, the best thing you can probably do if you want to launch a business is get a partner who knows something about business. If you focus predominantly on exercise and nutrition and these types of related areas, then you didn't focus enough on business, and that's not a problem, but you need someone who knows what the hell they're doing in that regard. Just, Lonnie, you may have seen this in the past in the supplement industry, for example, guys who come in to the industry with an MBA because they look at the market share and think they can get a piece of a pie. They've failed abysmally, and I think you've seen this plenty of times. These guys come in with business degrees and they think this is just a business like any other. They fail. Why? Because they don't understand the other side of the coin. Well, a lot of exercise people have the same problem. They don't understand the business side of the coin. You know, I'm, I'm not the guy who calls all the shots on precision nutrition. I have a business partner. He's my CEO, and he, he makes the executive decisions, and he knows about business. He doesn't have a degree in exercise science or nutrition. Uh, so I, I have a partner in that regard. So those would be kind of my parting shots for, for things for people to think about as they move forward. You know, they're, you know, I, a lot of it is, I, I know I've said a lot of get the hell out of my industry stuff, but at the same time, I, there is actually a, a message of hope here, which is there's a lot of amazing things that you can do, but you have to do them for the right reasons. And once your interests, your passions are aligned with what you want to do professionally, really, really, the sky's the limit. Uh, so for those types of people, man, I, you know, God bless and God speed. For the people who are in the wrong field, I just want you to go find one that you can feel equally passionate about and kick ass in that field. You know, to, to kind of finish up, because I know we're going over time, Lonnie, uh, you know, for people who want to find out more about what we do, uh, you can just come visit us at our website, precisionnutrition.com. That's sort of the hub of everything we do. You can find out about our coaching programs, about our nutrition education products, and about our certification stuff as well. So, you know, definitely I'd love it if people were to come visit us, see what we do, and if, if they think we're awesome, like I said, uh, stick around a little bit, and, and hopefully we can uh, we can help out. Sweet. All right, Fortress, are you still awake, man? <laughs> I don't even know if he's here. That I just want to say, John, that was great. I mean, I was quiet the whole time, but I think it's mainly just because I agree with 100% of what you said. I mean, I think you laid out some gold there for everybody, everything from 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 your own goals and really sitting down and deciding what is it that you want, and I think that's the biggest thing I've seen in people is they don't really sit down and figure out what they really want. A mission. Like, like you alluded to, once you've decided that, then the other crap doesn't matter. You know, you've accepted yeah. the other stuff. You need to find out what you really want. And then the marketing, I mean, we're on the same page there. And then in this industry, I mean, it's like my art background and uh, reasons I fought with, with instructors. I mean, to be in this field or any field, you don't make it by trying to be it. Mm-hmm. You make it by being it. You know, yeah. to, to be a great artist, you don't make it in New York by trying to make it in New York, which I think yeah. is a lot of these people, the new gurus on the Internet and stuff, they're trying to be the next great Internet trainer. Be mm-hmm. the damn trainer, and yeah. you'll make it by default. you got to love it and have a passion for it first. Let me, let me add one thing, guys. Just, you know what? 
I saw some comments on iTunes about us. John, you'll probably find this funny because you're already talking like not an old guy, like an experienced guy, you know. And and somebody said, oh, you know, give these guys a listen. They've been at it for a long time. They're sort of middle-aged or older dudes or whatever. They're not going to steer you wrong. It, it's just funny because – I don't think of myself that way. I have a very kind of youthful outlook, I guess. And I also saw somebody posted to Phil, and Phil, I don't know if you responded or not, and I don't even remember which website I saw it on, but they said, Phil, you have the perfect job. And I'm thinking, that's because Phil loves his job. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, and I have a high-stress so, job, but I love coming to it every day. I mean, <laughs> so. All right, well, let's... I, I think I think we're way over, but that's cool. We got a lot of good stuff done today. Thank you, John, ten times for coming on. Uh, no worries, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invitation, and it's always good to catch up, Lonnie. I know uh, for for the listeners, Lonnie and I used to hang out back in the day. We'd always share rooms at the when we were students at at the the conferences every year because uh, it was it was a cheap way to go to the conference and split the hotel room with buddies. And so it's been a while since we had the chance to catch up, and it, it's it's always great. You know, I may actually head up to the CSEP meeting this fall. Maybe you should give it some thought. Yeah, that'd be great, man. Okay. Sweet. All right, everybody. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Great. Right. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like Iron Radio, if you like what we do, uh, the education, interviewing uh, industry personalities, or many of the pro bodybuilders or coaches that we've had in the past – uh, please just click on the donate button at www.ironradio.org and make a donation. We've had some great donations from people that have kept us going. Thank you so much. Uh, so please visit uh, the website, click on the donation button, or if you like, uh, and it's a similar situation, buy some Iron Radio cool stuff. We've got t-shirts and mugs and things like that, and those things help support the site and keep us on the air. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.